for you know for small uh, transactions, you know transactions that have value, but you know that have enough value, but you know, these intermediate transactions, uh, transactions that has value but don't, don't have like a huge amount of, of value, but are everyday transactions that you're doing a lot of transactions, so you need these transactions to be cheap and so on. I think that here is the ZKVM is a perfect is a perfect place to be. And here we include uh, DeFi transactions, here we include NFT transactions, we're including these uh, even governance and voting transactions, things that requires you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, transactions and uh, you know, a lot of transactions and they, but at the same time require the security of the of the layer 2. So I think here is uh, uh, it's a uh, it's, it's, CKVM is the right place to would be the right place to to to, to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of Devs Do Something. Today's guest is a good one. We have Jordi Bailina, who leads the technical team building the Polygon ZK EVM. The Polygon ZKEVM launches in late March, and this episode will serve as a technical introduction into how this particular ZKEVM works. So we go really deep into how Jordi and the team pulled this off. You know, we talk through how the prover and sequencer works, stepped through a sample transaction step-by-step, and got into just how his team was able to pull off full opcode parity with Ethereum L1 and some of the trade-offs in supporting full EVM compatibility. So if you're interested in deploying on top of the Polygon ZK EVM later this month, or just in understanding how it works from a first principles, bottom-up technical point of view, I think you'll really like this episode. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy. As devs, we all love hackathons. They're a great way to boost your skill set, meet other engineers, and add to your portfolio of work. At Superfluid, we've sponsored many hackathons and decided to start putting on a hackathon of our own, the Superfluid Wave Pool. This hackathon is a little bit different though in that it's continuous, it's always open. You can submit any project built on Superfluid at any point throughout the month and have a chance to earn thousands of dollars in prizes depending on how your project stacks up. In just the last couple of months, we've seen dozens of teams build really amazing projects that run the gamut from superfluid developer tutorials to full-fledged applications uh, to a proof-of-concept superfluid StarkNet implementation that we thought was really, really impressive. So we encourage you to check it out today. You can learn more by going to superfluid.finance slash wavepool. That's superfluid.finance slash wavepool. Happy hacking. All right, so we're here today on this fun Wednesday with Jordy from the Polygon ZK EVM team. Welcome, Jordy. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, we're super excited to dive into all things ZK and the ZK EVM. We're super excited for you guys to launch next month. But before we we get into all of that, uh, how did you get involved in uh, in crypto and in this industry? It's a long story. So I, I read the Bitcoin paper maybe in uh, 2013 or something like that. And uh, well, it was really interesting. But then I went to some meetups and, you know, people there 
uh, had a lot of other work to do, and the people there were more in, more interested in you know in in, in, a, in tax evasion and other uh, nasty things, and and the, and I just you know had a lot of work to do, so I just put it in the side. At that point, I was just looking at all, and I was trying to write smart contracts in Bitcoin, which is something very painful. Uh, where you discover that most of the of the opcodes of the Bitcoin opcodes just were not implemented. It was really pain at that time doing anything in, in Bitcoin. And it was 2015, so two years later, that just because uh, you know a guy, it's called Substack, a very known person uh, in the open source space, in a talk in Barcelona, in, in a JavaScript talk in Barcelona, he was talking about uh, IPFS, you know, something that was not related, but then. It was very interesting topic, and I was just uh, digging and, and and well, just checking, and and then uh, just googling and 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 reading and studying. I just discovered Ethereum uh, at that point, and uh, well, from there it was like a drug, you know, just reading and learning and so on. And at some point, I was uh, involved very much in the in the DAO uh, in the first well, you know, the, the known project of the DAO. Uh, I learned a lot there. I learned about the community. I learned a lot about the very. I meet a lot of interesting people remotely, and at some point, then I get, I got involved in the. I was one of the white hacks of the DAO, so that was like my master degree on blockchains. It was a long story. Uh, Explain it a long time ago, and yeah, from there I just saw that this was my life, and 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 there since full time since there. Just I just. Quit. Actually, they fired me in the last job. Um, so, uh, so yeah. And then I get this is what I want to be. No, I was fired mainly mainly because I was not doing anything. I was just reading about blockchains and reading about Ethereum. And uh, my brother was kind of my boss, and he just told me, "Jordi, what you want to do here?" It's just no, no. It's, I want to be in blockchain. <laughs> this is my 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 word is I definitely know that's there. So we just uh, make an agreement. And from there, I'm full time. At the beginning, yeah, just uh, doing uh, random jobs, uh, just trying to survive in the space, just trying to go to the conferences. It was the ICO times, and then we created Titan Three a project, and then we created Hermes, and then uh, we joined with Polygon, and here we are, just building the ZKVMs. That's that's my that's my life. I love it. Yeah, you've been obviously deeply embedded in the space. I'm sure being a white hat at the DAO was was a fascinating experience. That's definitely a, an interesting master's degree style experience. A little more hands on than a typical master's degree. But exactly. um, so you've you've obviously gone very deep into cryptography and into zk, and you you know since your time, I guess initially starting out with Hermes and eventually evolving into what's now Polygon's zk EVM efforts. Um, most of our familiars are most of our listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with. ZK EVMs and zero knowledge technologies, because we have a pretty technical audience. But in your own words, can you just give us a brief description of the Polygon ZK EVM and then we can dive into it deeper from there? A Polygon ZK EVM is a scaling solution, it's a layer two, it's a roll up, a layer two roll up, it's a ZK roll up. You know, there are two times so two, two kinds, two types of roll ups, you know, optimistic roll ups and ZK roll ups. This is a ZK uh, roll up. And uh, yeah, uh, it's just a solution for scaling Ethereum. It's uh, like a, another. It's not really a chain. It's just a. It's a chain because there are actually there are blocks, but it's not. There is no consensus. So we are using the consensus mechanism of layer one in this case Ethereum, and on top of that we are just. Uh, uh, well, we have a system where we can uh, have 
much more transactions than the same layer one without losing any security of the layer one. Mm-hmm. And there are there are some components here we'll get into, right? Like you have the ZK node, you do have a consensus contract um, and a couple of other things, but maybe before we, and I guess if you want to correct me on consensus contract. Well, here the, cons- the consensus is we need, to, we need to distinguish between the consensus contract and the consens- consensus algorithm or protocol. So we are not running any consensus uh, uh, algorithm because we are just using the, con- the consensus of Ethereum. So the consensus happens in the layer one. But uh, how we are building the, but there is a contract, you know, there is this, we can call it consensus contract or the roll-up contract uh, itself. That's actually the rules. Uh, this defines the rules of the network. In our case, it's a ZKBM, so the rules are uh, exactly the same or uh, as close as possible as the same rules as Ethereum. So the idea is you have a chain, it's a different chain, and you can send transactions the same way that you are sending to Ethereum. You can deploy smart contracts, you can... Uh, call those smart contracts and do everything the same that you can do in Ethereum, but you can do it also in this layer two. Not only that, but that in our case, there's the KVM where it, uh, the, 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 the interesting part and the differenti- differential part is that it works exactly like Ethereum. Actually, you connect to MetaMask to the, to the rollup and you have a, a network. So from the user perspective, they should not notice any difference that working with a layer one or layer two. But internally, it's different. Interesting. Well, you guys were able to pull off like full parity, as far as I'm concerned, of, of like the opcodes, right? So like the opcodes on Ethereum, you effectively have the same yep. opcodes. Obviously, there's a lot of things. Like, what did you guys have to do to pull that off, right? To, to have this opcode compatibility between what you're doing and Ethereum itself? Well, mainly it's, a, it's an engineering, it's a full engineering project. It's an important engineering project. Uh, and... The idea is, uh, well, we get the explain. So we get the basic technology, which is the ZK technology. You can there is a good similar that's with electronics and computers. Okay, so the basic ZK technology would be equivalent to transistors. Okay, so you can do cool things with transistors, but you know they are really small pieces. And if you want to build something serious, you need a lot of these transistors to put them together. Okay, so. The first thing you get is, well, you start with transistors, but then you start having what we call in electronics. Okay? And uh, ZK, that all the ZK projects that we had, so all the ZK applications were like doing electronics, you know, small circuits. Here we, we created, for example, a long time ago, we created Circom, and then you just create some circuit and you do some, some you know, some, some cool things with that. But... Um, the, the step here is, okay, we want to create a circuit, and this is the next step. We have electronics, but we want to create a circuit that's actual, actually a processor. So it actually is something that you can process whatever you want. That you, you just write a program, and you run on top of the, this processor. So the idea is that with this electronics, we somehow we built a, a processor. If you want, it's a state machine, okay? But it's a sort of a state machine that actually has its own uh, assembly, you know, its own instructions, and you can build this, uh, this processor so it's doing something. Okay. And with this processor, we created our assembly. So we created a processor, we created an, an assembly, and we created on top of that a program. We call it a ROM because it's the ROM that's that, that it's running on this processor. It's a ROM that's emulating or it's, uh, it's uh, just interpreting. So it's doing what Ethereum does exactly the same way. So this program just takes transactions as an input and process these transactions. If it's a transaction that creates a smart contract, this, then, well, it, this, it just modifies the state. 
to create a smart contract. If it's calling a smart contract, it's calling a smart contract. If it's doing a transfer between accounts, it that just does the transfer of simple. But these rules are exactly the same that Ethereum. So we it's like another client. It actually we implemented the rules of Ethereum, like Geth or like uh, any 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 Ethereum client. But with this assembly in that's running with this special processor. Uh, in order to create, so this is working with these transistors, with this uh, uh, zero knowledge, and because everything at the end are transistors, and this can be a pack as a single proof. Okay, so the result here is a lot of technology, but at the end is um, a set of layers that we put, and and we could do that really fast because there are these layers. So there is people that is doing the hardware, is people that's doing the processor, is people that's doing the that's doing the, 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 the ROM. There's people that's running the tests. Actually, we are running the, te- the Ethereum test, for example, for, for checking this, this, this ROM interpretation. So this is a full stack of, uh, uh, of components with different teams working in each of these layers in these stacks. And with this, we are able to, to, to create, uh, you know, to, to have this. And well, there is a lot of technology and a lot of things we had to solve uh, in order for, for this to fit uh, in a proof and this proves to be fast and, and so on. But this is the main uh, idea, the main architecture uh, in order to build this, 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 this proof for proving Ethereum transactions. That's fascinating. So you guys had to basically build your own virtual stack, starting exactly. all, the way, all the way at the bottom, moving up. And it's interesting that you, you mentioned you, you actually had separate teams that were just working on different layers of the stack then, right? So you guys basically split this effort up into people that are really, really good with low-level ZK circuits, and then you built it up from there. Is that right? Yeah, and, but it's, it's, it's not even... Uh, so it's even... Yeah, it's that way, but it's even worse because it's... Uh, so it's an assembly that's a new assembly. So it's, we created the, lang- the, the assembly itself. It's a new processor, new assembly, a uh, uh, new way of writing hardware. So it's like you need... You are creating a technology, but at the same time, you need to learn to use the technology you are creating, which is, uh, from the engineering perspective, is, is fascinating, but it's also very challenging. And, and yeah, it, it, it takes its time. And, and, you know, it's like you do the things and then you, you see that you can do it better. And maybe there is something in the layer, but the way you are using the layer, you see, okay, if in this uh, low layer, you, we had this or we had this in this way, we can, this that would be more optimal. And then we switch in one layer, we put it in the other layer. And this has been a, a, a lot of uh, back and forth and a lot of communications between the team in order to optimize all the pieces and, 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 and getting the results uh, where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you built this entire stack that enables somebody like me or somebody else that knows Solidity to just come in and plug in exactly what they know and build on top of it. Right? Exactly. That's so, a, that's a, that's yeah. the thing. It's that for developers is uh, the idea is that developers that are building on top of the ZKVM, they should not notice the difference between working with uh, Ethereum or the ZKVM. You just have your solidity, but you can use any of the tooling. You don't need to modify the tools. You don't need any special tools. You just use hard hat, or you just use the uh, uh, remix, or you just use whatever tooling you are using and. Uh, it should work straightforward. You connect to MetaMask, you create your accounts, you can have your ledger, you, you can have everything and you don't need anything special. So everything is uh, Ethereum, it's Ethereum compatible. It's, it's, it's the same as, as Ethereum. You don't have any uh, special 
any specials uh, uh, to do as a developer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, there shouldn't be anything else you'd have to necessarily learn from what it sounds like. But one thing that a lot of our listeners like is they like getting very deep into uh, like uh, gas golfing, op codes. A lot of them are into Huff and Yule and these low-level uh, languages. And some of them like literally memorize all of the, the costs associated with each op code and they just like do this for fun, right? Uh, it, maybe it's useful, maybe it's for fun. But one thing I read about, you have I think either a blog post or a page in your docs that was a deep dive into how you guys had to approach pricing for the opcodes. Uh, did you price opcodes like apples to apples, like one to one with with the same cost, or are they slightly different in terms of pricing given yeah, the different we, environment? We, the, the model is so the idea is that as I told you, we are trying to be as as compatible as possible as Ethereum. Okay, so the idea is that from the user perspective, uh, the gas cost so the gas cost is going to be exactly the same that Ethereum is. So from the user perspective, is if uh, if uh, doing an ad costs three gas units uh, in the ZKBM, the ad is going to cost you three gas units. Okay. And, and this is going to be exactly the same rules that Ethereum has. And this allows us to give full compatibility with Ethereum, okay? The, the issue here, and, and maybe it's a question, is that, okay, uh, the, the implicit cost, so the real cost for each uh, opcode is not exactly the same that Ethereum. For example, doing a catch-up inside, uh, inside uh, the ZKVM, um, well, it may be more expensive, Okay. Uh, or doing some operations are cheaper, but some operations are more, are, 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 so it doesn't fit exactly the same relationship, okay? But we're adjusting that with the gas price. So the idea is that when you are submitting a transaction, I mean, in average, probably the, the sequencer is going to give you a, a price and, and this price is going to be fine for you. But if you are trying to uh, do a strange transaction, so if you are trying to do strange things, uh, then uh, the sequencer may tell you, okay, maybe you need to uh, have a, so you need to pay more gas, or you need, to, or maybe this, or just we don't accept this transaction. Again, this is should only happen if you are doing really crazy things. If you are using normal, so if you are doing a normal program and normal things, you should not notice the the difference. And in average, uh, everything will be will be balanced. Interesting. Okay, that's good to know. That's really good to know. That's impressive. You guys were able to pull that off, like the full parity, even at the opcode pricing level. Um, even I tell you, eh, so the the opcodes, of course, there are some exceptions, and you know there are some things that are a little bit, but uh, there are some exceptions. For example, data availability. You know, we are doing data availability in layer one, so the cost of data availability we cannot reduce the cost of data availability because we are putting data availability in layer one. We don't have data availability, so uh, the cost is is the same. Okay, but uh, if you see. There are not that many difference, you know, doing a, so doing an exponentiation, for example, in the ABM is already more expensive and, 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 and it's very proportional to the cost of doing in ZK. So there is a, a mismatch, but it's not a huge mismatch. So it's a, it's a it, it, it matches very much. So at the end, if you are doing normal things, it, it, this should not be a, this should not be a, a, a big, a big issue, but we're also um, balancing the circuits. So that the average uh, uh, matches. I see. Well, I mean, for the for the normal application, right? Because of the amount of scalability you're going to provide, these kinds of small things really shouldn't matter. I will say though that just because we talked about it, I'm sure somebody's going to go find the edge now um, and, <laughs> and figure out where it where it gets weird. But uh, you know, that I'm sure it'll be edge cases. But one thing that I've found that that's been pretty helpful uh, for myself in understanding how new environments work is just asking 
like someone like yourself to walk through a standard transaction and to maybe step through what, what actually happens under the hood when a transaction is processed in that environment. So can we maybe walk through again? I know like for the developer, you know, if I'm going to call transfer on an ERC-20 token, as a Solidity dev, this should be exactly the same, right? The experience should be the same. But under the hood, there's obviously a lot of interesting things happening. So would you be able to walk us through just like a standard ERC-20 transfer um, on the new ZK EVM and how that might work at the lower level? Yeah. You, well, first is you probably will have, let's say, MetaMask or your favorite wallet uh, already installed. The same way, you will connect... Uh, you will connect to the ZKVM exactly the same way that you connect to any chain and you connect with, a, it's going to be a chain that's the same way that you have a mainnet, Gorli, testnet, or you have a, you know, a Polygon POS or, you know, any other uh, chain, you will have the Polygon ZKVM, okay? And you will do a normal transfer. So you will do a normal transfer with MetaMask. You don't need anything special. You can just use, so... You can just use MetaMask. So you, from the user perspective, you just do and just create the, uh, from your wallet, you do your transfer, okay? And this should work. What will happen here, okay? So let's go deep in this in this process. Actually, what you are going to do, you are going to take this transaction and you are going to send this transaction to the sequencer. Okay, sequencer is a central party. At the beginning, we can talk later, but at the beginning, it's going to be a centralized uh, sequencer. I don't like the word centralized here because a sequencer, they cannot do many things. So they can decide to put their transaction or not, but they cannot do any much more than that. Well, they can solve maybe the transactions, but it's it's not, you know, they can they cannot do much. Okay? They cannot even censor you from sending transactions. We will talk maybe later. Okay. So you send the transaction to the sequencer, okay? And the sequencer will just process this transaction and will give you a, a, a block number. So like if the like emulate like if a transaction happened. Okay. So and this will happen really fast. Okay. And you will have like a finality here uh, that will be very fast it's a tricky finality because it's uh centralized so in this so it's final if you trust a sequencer okay so it's just uh it's not decentralized system but if you if you trust so the sequencer is promising you that this transaction is going to be included in the chain and if you trust a sequencer then you are done you know that's it okay um but suppose that you know you don't trust a sequencer you don't have to okay it's you shouldn't actually then the sequencer at some point, the sequencer at some point is going to get this transaction together with other transactions and is going to put this transaction in Ethereum. Okay. But it's going to, it's not going to, so they are just going to put the, the transaction there. Okay. But it's not going to process anything. Okay. But they are just also all the transactions that are processed, that are uh, sequenced, they are going to be at some point in the, in the chain. Okay. This will happen. Quite often, I mean, we are configuring now, but maybe this could be maybe I don't know a couple of minutes, something, few minutes, okay, uh, in there. So at that point, at that point, the transaction is final, and you don't need to trust the sequencer. You know that this transaction is going to be processed, okay. So this transaction is still has not approved. Uh, actually, anybody because the transactions are sequenced, and here the rules of processing the transactions are deterministically defined. So all the transactions that are on chain. Anybody can process exactly the same way, so you can. Anybody can calculate this state, but this state um, is not on chain. So it's you. Anybody can calculate it, but this is it's an implicit state, but not on chain. You know, so everybody knows that this state is going to happen, but it's not on chain. That means that you know for sure that it's. You don't need to trust a sequencer. You know that this is final, okay? But 
the only thing that you cannot do is withdraw funds. Okay, because uh, you can, you know, this is not this state is not on chain yet. Okay, and here is the third stage is when the prover comes. So it's going to be a prover. Okay, that's going to happen. I don't know, maybe once every half an hour. That's going to take all the all the batches and all the transactions of all the batches, and it's going to create this. It's going to compute this new state and actually prove with a zero knowledge proof that this state is valid. That's correct and it's going to be on chain and it's at this point where you will be able to withdraw the funds because you know for sure that this state is 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 is, is valid so you have like three stages three finality stages okay one centralized finality stages let's talk about i don't know two seconds or really fast you know just centralized you can just transaction and you just get confirmation okay this can be very useful for many applications, we expect. Okay? Then there is going to be a final, in the sense that you don't need to trust, it's the centralized finality, so it's, it's, it's a chain, so it's uh, the second stage. Okay? And it's going to be like a, 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 you know, a, 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 an absolute final or a final where you can withdraw the funds. Okay? It's going to be this third, three stage. The second one, we are talking about a few minutes. Uh, and the third stage, we are thinking... About maybe half an hour, something like that. One proof every half an hour, uh, or something like that. So this is a little bit the the, the process. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. That's actually really really helpful, um, and it's clear too. Um, I think any most people who are listening to this can understand that. Um, now I heard you say on a talk, right? We can we can get into maybe some of the scalability bits and some of the other details here. We can come back to the progressive decentralization with the sequencer and all that stuff. But I heard you mention in a talk or a different podcast that. The the prover itself is really not the bottleneck here because you're parallelizing the proofs, or at least you can. Exactly. Um, but what but what about with the um the sequencer or with data availability? What are some of the the limits or the limitations with scalability with with, with both the sequencer and data availability? Is there anything there that might place a limit? Yeah, yeah. These probably are gonna be the, the next bottlenecks to so forth. The first one is gonna be data availability. Okay, so in that availability, uh, well, this is uh, what layer ones are trying to solve somehow. Here, it's really important the IP four eight four four. Okay, so here is that this will reduce the cost of the data availability. Okay, it's uh, interesting because the four eight four four is putting this data, but not forever. It's just for a couple of weeks, maybe. Uh, but it's available. The important part here is that anybody has access. The problem of rollups is that there is this attack that is is the data. If somebody is, uh, you know, proving a new and uh, proving a, a new state uh, in the rollup, but uh, you don't know how, you don't know which transactions you process. So and, and so you know that the state is valid, but you don't know which is this state and you don't know where this state comes from. Okay, so then you cannot. Uh, on, there is maybe only one person that can continue moving the rollups. So they can stop the rollups. So that's why it's important that the data is available, and, and we need just data that if you want that if anybody in the world wants to access this data, this data needs to be available. The easiest part here to to make this data available is put this data on chain. Actually, we are using right now we're putting that in the call data as part of the transaction. This is, I mean, is is cheaper than doing a normal transaction, but it's still uh, expensive. Uh, so here is and here is this this limitation, and that's why uh, rollups and this is common to any rollup are 
not as this is the bottleneck somehow. And this is why it's so important to push with this uh, data availability uh, protocols, EIP four eight four four, and later on sharding is what should solve the data availability. Okay, and there is this last uh, uh, there is this last uh, uh, in bottleneck or thing is that the processing the processing part. You know, even if you okay you solve data availability, at the end data availability is going to be a cost. It's not going to be so. The limit is going to be what how much data availability can Ethereum has. This with sharding should be a lot. In sharding, they are talking about one or two megabytes per second or something like that. So it's like a lot of data you can put in there. Uh, but then there is, okay, uh, you have a bunch of transactions and you need to process those transactions. And this is the, the limit on the sequencer. And you know these, these transactions, the problem is that processing these transactions in, in parallel, uh, uh, so it's not, it's not, well, you can do tricks, but it's not possible because, you know, transactions, you know, they depend on each other, okay? And one transaction depends on what another previous transaction did. So something that's not easily parallelizable, you can do some tricks and and you can put some fast hardware and you think, but there is a limitation there, okay? So the number, at the end, the number of transactions uh, here is, is, is has a limit. But here is, a, there is a lot of things, a lot of research that can be done here, there. Uh, and I would say that without even uh, changing the model, the Ethereum model, this can go really, really, really far, uh, much farther than where we are right now. Okay. Uh, if you want to change the Ethereum model, then there are other models that are work better in parallel here. For example, in Polygon, we have a Polygon Maiden that's uh, working in this parallelization, but... Uh, there are other rollups. I think the Fuel Labs, for example, is working in very interesting uh, approaches uh, of this parallelizing data. So there is other projects. So it's our projects and other ideas in the space that are really interesting for this uh, solving this uh, parallelization, execute parallelization, execute parallelization. Uh, that Vitalik also has some interesting ideas in this front. And yeah, it's a, it's a, a place of research. That's, I mean, it's not the bottleneck right now. I think that in the next years, we are going to talk a lot about that availability, uh, but maybe in two, three years, this, this may become one of, the, one of the bottlenecks. But we are talking that maybe we can maybe scale easily a couple of orders of magnitude before reaching this, this, this point at least. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense, especially on the data availability side. That is... Yeah, that's going to be the topic. Eh? In the next year, this next year, I expect that availability is uh, EIP four eight four four is going to be the topic, and this is going to be really, really important for sure. So you mentioned a couple of minutes ago that right now the sequencer is centralized. You don't, I mean, you have the prover, right? So you have this extra layer of you know you don't necessarily have to just trust the sequencer, right? But you mentioned that over time, at least you alluded to this, that over time it might become less centralized. You, you, you also mentioned you don't like the term centralized for the sequencer. Maybe you can also un unpack that uh, and we could talk through that. Yeah. So first is, so what, what a sequencer can do? Okay. So the sequencer at the end is receiving transactions, sorting them and putting and, and, and creating these batches. Okay. Actually sequencing, it's just putting what transactions one after the other. Okay. So the first thing is that you can, is okay, what the, what the sequencer can do and what can, can, can do. Well, the first thing is that the, the system that we are building is censorship resistant. What means with that censorship system? It's not like perfect solution because, but it's 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 at least the sequencer cannot 
steal the funds, of course, but cannot even lock the funds. So imagine that you have funds inside the rollup, and uh, I'm the sequencer, and I'm kind of a malicious sequencer, or maybe not that malicious. Maybe imagine that uh, you are using Tornado Cache okay? uh, inside the EVM, and I'm a sequencer, and maybe I just get some threats from some random governments telling me that uh, you cannot uh, process these transactions. Okay? I think that's may happen uh, here. It's putting real examples that may happen. Okay, so what happened? Uh, with your fonts, okay? Because I'm a sequencer and I'm not letting you uh, touch your fonts, okay? So here you have an option, and it's an option that anybody has, is that you can send any L2 transaction uh, to, so you just pack this L2 transaction in an L1 transaction, okay? So you put that in L2 transaction, you put it in an L1 transaction, of course you will have to pay an L1 transaction, but once this transaction is in L1, and L1 is censorship resistant, so it's a normal Ethereum transaction, then the sequencer is forced to include this transaction uh, in the chain. Probably this transaction is going to be an exit transaction. So it's okay, uh, you don't let me much, but let me at least take my funds uh, out. Okay? And so the sequencer here has two options. They either include this transaction or they do nothing, okay? They just stop. <laughs> okay, that's another option that they can do. If the sequencer stop, then there is a time mode and anybody be can become a sequencer. So any anybody can just uh, generate transactions. And then, uh, of course, and, and, and of course, if whoever it is, they will be forced to include your transaction. So uh, you are going to get the funds uh, no matter what, okay? Here is not... So this is a solution that we are uh, launching and what to implement. It's, it's not a perfect solution, okay? Because, I mean, it's, it's so it's censorship resistant, but until a certain point, you know, because the the, the, the system is, a, is not a universal, so I can kick you out of the system. But, so I cannot lock your phones or can get your phones, but I, kick you, I can kick you out, um, uh, 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 out of the system somehow, okay? So, the, and this is not the kind of systems that we want to build. Okay? So we want to build systems that anybody can use it. It's permissionless, so it's like anybody can use it in a normal, in a normal way. Okay. So here, what's imp why it's important to have more decentralized sequencers. Okay. But being a centralized sequencer is not that uh, I'm. It's a that doesn't mean that you have a centralized system. You don't. Really, you don't have that much power, really. To you can't do a whole lot. You have severe limits on what you can do. You can do things, you, but not. But I mean, like the, the the worst thing that I can do is just kick you out. This is the, this is the this is the the worst thing, which is not good. I mean, but it's uh, it's much better that if I could just lock your phones, for example. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I think that provides a lot of clarity there. Um, how about okay? This is a bit of a different topic, but what about this um, this LX to LY bridge design you guys have built? Um, you guys have basically created uh, like a bridge architecture to to move between the zk EVM and other chains as well, and also obviously L one. But can you can you talk me through and talk our listeners through what this design is and why you guys focus on it? Well, this is a very simple design. Actually, it's interesting because. Uh, it's an idea that's very similar to one of the uh, ideas from the Vitalik and the Ethereum Foundation. But in the beginning, uh, when they start talking about sharding and talking about I'm talking about in 2016 and those times, okay. So 
they, at that point, they, there was, they, we call it these execution environments, and they were talking about sharding, but sharding was not for that availability, as we are talking right now. It was sharding was more for uh, computation, like having different processors and, and like having these execution environments, which is more or less what we are doing now when you have maybe multiple uh, roll-ups uh, connecting one each other, okay? And at, some, at that point, we were talking about this communication between these roll-ups. Communication... And it's even more than that. It's even uh, uh, value transferring between these uh, uh, these rollups. And the idea how it works is let me see if I'm able to explain. But the idea is um, you lock. So you mentioned that you have a bridge in L1. So you send the the, the phones to the bridge. The bridge is is locked. It's a bridge smart contract. Okay. Uh, and and then what's doing this smart contract is just adding a new leaf in the Merkle tree. Uh, saying okay, just putting this like a note, you know, saying okay, this is this this money goes to this uh, uh, roll up to, to this roll up to this um, account and uh, this quantity of this token. Okay, so this is like a kind of a note that's inserting. It's not only adding. So this smart contract only adds notes to this uh, to this tree. Okay, so and when a proof is generated, the idea is that when the roll up moves forward, then the root of this tree. Is transferred to the um, to the to the rollup. Okay, so the information, the root of this tree is information. That means that there is another smart contract inside the rollup, inside the L2, that's actually taking this root and it's saying, okay, there is a leaf, there is a note that's uh, that somebody sends uh, to this account. So I'm this account. So I just claims the the tokens uh, in in that side. Of course. I just cancel this note. I just modify. I just say, okay, this note is not. You cannot use it again. Everybody is consumed, okay. And then this is the way you transfer from L1 to L2. But uh, this happens exactly the same mechanism from from L2 to L1. Uh, so actually, for doing an exit, what you are doing is okay. There is another smart contract with a tree inside the L2. You send that to the send that token to the to the bridge, okay. If it's uh, then uh, it's creating also a node in a leaf, and then this 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 root is transferred back. So when there is one root that goes from L1 to L2, another root that goes from L2 to L1. So you have this root in L1, and in L1 you can do exactly the same. You do the you you just do you just claim in L1 and uh, just mark this node as not used anymore. And you can use that not only for L2, L2, L2 to L1, L1, L2. You can do also from L2 to L2 or for different L2s. And the interesting thing is that it scales very well because no matter how many transactions you are adding to the tree, at the end, every time that there is a proof, uh, you are just communicating one single hash, which is the, the root of the new tree. And, and then you are just... Uh, uh, working with that. This is called the, the bridge work. It's a very simple idea. These, these leaves or these nodes can be tokens, but can also be um, just normal messages. Imagine that you want to transfer an NFT or you want to transfer a domain name or, you know, whatever value or, uh, you know, a loan of whatever or some staking, whatever you, whatever you want, you can implement that with this uh, messaging system. So you can transfer messages and value between the between the, the, the roll-ups. It's a really simple mechanism. It's a very, you know, it's a very cool idea. It's very simple, and but it's very, very, very flexible and and, and, and scales uh, very, very... Mm-hmm. Yep, it's clever. And I think it'll be really useful for application developers, right? That want to take advantage of interoperability and things like that. So, yeah. Absolutely. I think that'd be really cool. Um, okay, maybe a couple other like more macro questions now. But 
There are lots of different approaches to using um, zero-knowledge proofs to scale blockchains, right? Um, again, in our conversation with, with uh, the Starkware team, you know, they, they decided to, to go a different route where they didn't, they didn't focus on EVM equivalents. They built their own system, right? And there are trade-offs to that. So as someone who's spent a, a lot of time and a lot of effort on you know, fighting for the EVM equivalents, how do you think about the set of trade-offs between maybe doing something more similar to what StarkNet is you know, in comparison to what you've done? Like, what are, what are some of the trade-offs there? Well, let's see. Um, so two years ago, when we started the when we started the ZKVM, so the, of course it's okay. We want to we, we we want to build this, okay? So we want to do the ZKVM. Everybody agree that we need that, okay? But uh, uh, you need to build it, and okay, well let's build it, okay? But let's build it is okay. How you build it, okay? And then you start thinking, okay, what approach we have, okay? And what are the the, the how you would you do it? You know, it's a very engineering question that is deciding how you do the things, okay? And uh, here there were, uh, nobody think that doing a ZK, uh, you know, a no-code equivalent uh, would be possible. This was like a crazy, a crazy approach uh, by that time, okay? Uh, including myself, you know, if you asked me two years ago about this, it's like, you are, you are, you just, uh, you are crazy. That's not, that's not possible, okay? It's like the technology that was available there, uh, was not possible. Okay, so the mainly the main two approach that were there were the the, the approach of okay, let's create a new a new system. So let's create a new VM and then a new stack on top of that. And this is uh, this is for example the approach of Starknet or the approach that uh, for example Polygon Zero uh, were doing at that point and you know some other projects were we're doing okay which is okay so this doesn't work let's let's start from scratch which is okay it's a valid uh, one but that means that it's not ethereum you know it's just another thing okay maybe you can do the same things at ethereum or similar things to ethereum but you need to do it in a different way okay different stack different language different compiler and so on okay there were another another uh, approach that was also very i mean probably interesting is okay Let's try to do it, okay, let's not do it in a EVM compatible, but let's do it in a Solidity compiler or Solidity equivalent or, okay, let's try to, that the users are now Solidity and ask how to write a smart contract. So let's try to build uh, something that's similar or something that's uh, the same, okay? But then at, at this point, we are just compiled to a different uh, machine and we are just trying to connect. And then there were these uh, crazy approach. That's the approach of us. But so I don't know if at that point they already were there, but it was a scroll people and people from the Ethereum Foundation. Actually, here is I want to give a lot of credit here to Barry Whitehat, who we were like, like spending a lot of hours with him, just just trying to solve. Okay, let's try to let's try to investigate this approach. You know, just trying to do an EVM compatible, and 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 we just go to all the opcodes and just trying to to. To think, okay, who would you solve this, and who would you solve that, and, and, and you know, just trying to deep in the things that were complex, okay. And you, we were just solving things, you know, solving different pieces, okay. And at some point, uh, we realized, okay, no, it's a little bit crazy, but uh, we can, we, we we can we can apply this technique here, we can apply this technique there, and 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 okay, let's let's this looks like possible, okay. So we come from was impossible to something that's possible, okay? 
was difficult, but, but was possible. So it was a good and important achievement here and, and, at this point. And here is all the credit to, 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 to Barry. That's actually the guy that was just convincing me on, on, on that. Then, okay, once I was convinced, and then I had to convince uh, here my, my partners, and you know, because this is a lot of work and with the team and, and to work on that. And uh, it was, okay, it was possible. And the, the beginning was, mat- the problem was the, okay, it's possible, but how optimal is it? Okay, because, you know, the EVM is not uh, prepared for ZK. It was invented at some point that was nothing there. So all these crazy things, how optimal are going to be? Okay, so we are going to make it work, but uh, maybe the other solutions are going to be more, more, more optimal, more uh, you know, maybe you want to do the maybe a token transfer in our system, and our system, the proof may take like two hours, and in the other system, maybe they take like uh, five minutes. Okay, so it's like mm, maybe it's possible, but it's not feasible on that. Okay, so and here is where uh, the main work. So it's just building the ZKVM, and also was this is the work of the last two years of. Of the, of the, all the engineers in the in the in the polygon CKVM team was about optimizing and trying to do the things in a different way. It was a challenge. It was an every week challenge, or every every week we have different challenge and just trying to solve and squeezing and and challenge of all kinds, mathematical challenge, uh, uh, just uh, programming challenges, uh, uh, hardware challenges, you know, how optimize the cache of the CPUs, how we are writing this process, so this piece just to go faster, GPUs. So we were trying to, you know, just try to, to, to investigate all the possible ways and just trying to find the solutions. And, and this has been a, a work of uh, uh, lots of engineers for a year, uh, for a year and a half, just uh, optimize. Actually, we are continuing uh, this 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 process, and it's interesting because uh, the learn that we had that we had and and uh, all the advances that we did in this uh, one year and a half, actually, we can say now that we are so uh, we are doing the things that are much more optimal than the projects that were following other architectures. Okay, and we have all the compatibility at the same time. Okay, so this is, um, you know, a lot of learnings. You know, how you write the storage, how you do uh, arithmetic operations in the 256 fields, how you do uh, memory alignment things, how you do the catch acts, how you do. So how, you know, it's a lot of a lot of things and a lot of learnings and a lot of small things, <laughs> small or important things that are inside the the ZKVM. And altogether, another, for example, was another something that when we started, we didn't know about, but uh, Polygon at, at some point, they also uh, merged with Polygon Zero. They were working with Starks and with these uh, small prime fields. So we switched, we just took all the knowledge of the Polygon Zero, which was the MIR project at that time and, and so on. All these Goldilocks fields with all the Poseidons that they created, the way they were building these circuits, we got all the, all the knowledge and we use that in the we use that in the project. That was, um, you know, a, we got a lot of improvements in that in, in just for this uh, for using this. So when we put this together, it's okay. We have a no uh, approver system that we can uh, in a single CPU in a big pro- processor, but a single CPU we can create a proof uh, of ten million gas 
units in less than two minutes. When we started, we were talking about hours in creating this. This would be hours in not in one CPU. We were we were we were counting with data centers. Okay, so you can imagine the orders of magnitude that we improved at 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 at, at that point. Okay, and again, um, we didn't we didn't even know how far we could. Yeah, we knew that the, there were a lot of things that could be improved, but we are the first one that we are surprised in how much we were able to 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 optimize. To the point that at this point for me, uh, it it the other approaches makes no sense. So because if you can have opcode compatible, if you can have exactly that you have in Ethereum, why you want to have a different tooling, a different system? Uh, it's like you are you are creating more noise. You are creating more friction for the users. So this is right now is okay. You have an EVM. So we, and 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 not even that. We are getting every time more closer. Every time more uh, similar. This is the you know we are getting more to a type one according to Vitalik. So we are getting in that direction. So every time is we are getting uh, more similar to what Ethereum it is. This point we are in a point that the user should not notice the differences. There are some small differences, but they are really uh, small. Some of them we will solve. For example, there is things that, for example, right now we are not implementing pairings in the in the CKVM. But we are gonna we are we are we already we already start working on that. So in the next version, it's gonna be pairings there, okay? And you know all these things that still remaining that there is maybe some small differences with Ethereum and things like that. We are just removing these differences, and this is one of the uh, of the work in progress that we are doing. So we expect uh, to have maybe in a year or something like that, we may have a type one, so a full compatible Ethereum without any differences. That's that's doable. That's, I mean, that's, that's achievable. And this is, this is the magic of, 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 of this, of, of this, of this, of this project. So with, with all the innovation here, uh, you know, to to stay compatible with with Ethereum, and as you guys get closer and closer to be to having like full complete parity, um, there's also the fact that Ethereum also might change and add things into the protocol over time as well. Um, I, I heard you, I think, either say it someplace or, or write someplace that maybe at some point in the future we'll, we'll like kind of do an effective freeze on Ethereum. I don't know if that's part of Vitalik and, and the core team's plans, but how do you think about remaining? I guess re retaining parity with the EVM as the EVM moves over time. Do you think that would be a challenge, or how do you see that? Well, let's go step by step. The first question, I think, is a question. It's a very good question for Vitalik or for people from Ethereum Foundation. Uh, as far as I know, they yes, that's uh, they they at some point Ethereum should be frozen and should be finalized and and finish. If you see the roadmap of Ethereum, but the roadmap in the white paper of Ethereum, it finished with, with the, that in the white paper is called Serenity, which is sharding. Okay, so expect that once sharding is finished and over, I mean, then Ethereum will be finished. When will this will happen? I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who knows? Okay, but uh, it's it's a roadmap and it's a clear roadmap. Okay. Uh, in the wild, Ethereum is going to be hard forks. It's going to be uh, well evolutions, and it's a plan for that. Okay, so as 
while the Ethereum is 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 is, is changing, is adapting, is improving, is doing these uh, modifications in the protocol, uh, we should uh, try to follow up Ethereum somehow. So it's just uh, from the the, the uh, rollups perspective, I think that we need to keep as closer. So if, if there is something that changes in the EVM, then probably it should be an upgrade, a planet upgrade uh, in the in the rollups. The same way that there is upgrades in the layer one, should be ways to do upgrades in layer two. In a controlled way, in a, no, uh, but it should be there. But once Ethereum is frozen, I think then it's when it's time then maybe for the rollups they reach the, the maturity that we expect that they also get frozen. And we have a fully decentralized system where nobody even can upgrade and just gets, you know, public good that people can use is there. And yeah, it belongs to anybody. And that's it. Makes sense. I think you're you're correct on the upgrade process for L2 is going to have to be there, right? So that's the, you'll probably just take that as it, as it comes. But last question for you, um, you know, with the mainnet release of the Polygon ZK EVM plan for, I think, March 27th. You know, this is super exciting for you guys. I, I think this is good timing for this to come out because hopefully our audience will uh, be some of the first people to deploy contracts there. But like, what do you, what do you hope people build? Like, what, what's possible now on the ZK EVM that might not have been possible before? Like, what, what are the, the couple of use cases that you and the team are most excited to see uh, deployed there in the first year or so? I, I would say... Um... We'll see how this evolves, and you know, this is just we are just launching now. But uh, you think that here, you know, um, uh, let's say for very small value transactions, I think that sidechains like EOS or things like that will continue being the the, the way to go. Okay? But if he, if the transactions have, um, let's say, a small, so if you have a big, you know, a big value, probably L1 stills. You know, if you if you are moving one million dollars, I mean, you probably make sense just to keep it to be stick in the the layer one. But for you know, for small uh, transactions, you know, transactions that have value, but you know, that have enough value, but you know, these intermediate transactions, uh, transactions that has value but don't, don't have like a huge amount of, of, of value, but are everyday transactions that you're doing a lot of transactions, so you need these transactions to be cheap and so on. I think that here is the ZKVM is a perfect. Is a perfect uh, place to be. And here we include uh, DeFi transactions. Here we include NFT transactions. We're including these uh, even governance and voting transactions. Things that requires you know a lot of uh, a lot of uh, transactions and uh, you know, a lot of transactions. And they, but at the same time require the security of the of the layer twos. I think here is uh, uh, it's uh, it's the CKVM is the right place to would be the right place to 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 be somewhere here, but again we will need to see and we need to see how this evolves and uh, you know sometimes you when you are this is a thing of when you are creating infrastructure you just create infrastructure you you imagine how the people will use it and then the people just use it in a different way or just you just see um, usages that you would not ever think about but that's a cool thing you know just uh, that's a, that's a good signal that you are doing things that creates real value. You know, when people is using that even in a different way you were thinking for. I love it. Yeah, I guess we'll see. I'm excited for DeFi in particular. I was going to mention DeFi as an interesting use case here because it fits the bill of these high value but not super high value transactions, right? Maybe the the 
million dollar swaps happen on L1 still, but everything kind of in the middle where it's these kind of like gas intensive operations normally uh, that people want to do frequently, right? So I think, you know, all that stuff will be interesting to see. And obviously we'll see people try to, you know, do crazy things as well, um, which would be fun. But listen, Jordy, we really, really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners anywhere you want to point them online? Uh, I mean, anything like that? Not just nothing special. It's just the, the people to use the to use the mainnet as a KVM. Give it give it a try. You know, if you're a developer, just give it a try. Just connect your MetaMask and do some transactions there, and just check how easy it is to use it. That's that's the thing. I love it. Well, you guys heard the man. Go uh, deploy some contracts on the zk EVM. So, Jordy, thank you again. Pleasure. Thank you. 